Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your host, Rick Lawrence, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Well, hi, listeners. This is Season 6, Episode 20 of Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus. I am Rick, author of the Jesus Center Daily, released last October, a daily devotional that's really... The, the idea there is to put Jesus as the orbital center of everything and then just spin everything around him. And so it's a 365 little uh, orbiting satellites around Jesus in the Jesus Center daily. So if you haven't picked up a copy of that yet, it's available on Amazon and directly from group.com as well. I think on Amazon right now, as I'm recording this, it's less than $10 a copy. It's almost... It's close to half price right now. So now's the time to jump on and get one or get get several if you want to give them as gifts uh, for later this year. Or you know some people this summer that that uh, during the summer reading season, that this would be a good time to start a daily devotional habit. Um, I'm also general editor of the Jesus-Centered Bible. I just uh, met, met somebody the, this week who was asking about that, and I just picked up the my wife's copy of the Bible off the coffee table and started just flipping through it and showing this person all of the special features we put into this Bible, including the Old Testament blue letters, uh, highlighting places in the Old Testament that point directly to Jesus in one way or another. That isn't in any other Bible, as it turns out. Didn't know that at the time we were doing the creating this feature, but it isn't in any other Bible. So if you want a Bible that helps you to draw near to Jesus, no matter where you're reading, this is the one for you. It's called the Jesus-Centered Bible. Again, you can find that on Amazon or going direct to the source on group.com. So we're continuing a series uh, that I started a couple of episodes ago. This, so this is the third episode in this new series called The Harvest. And here's the premise that all fruit comes from a tree, right? And each tree typically produces a certain kind of fruit. Well, we know metaphorically Jesus has invited us to attach to him like a branch to a tree or a vine. And when we do, when we attach our dead branch to his living tree um, and that graft takes, meaning we become an actual part of that tree, then his life comes into our life. Uh, the, the flow of his life comes into us and naturally produces fruit. And the difference about Jesus uh, in this metaphor of a tree is that he's no ordinary fruit tree. <laughs> he, most trees produce one kind of fruit. He produces many, many, many kinds of fruit out of one tree. All kinds of varieties are produced. And what we're doing is exploring um, uh, those fruit varieties individually and then tracking those fruits back to its source in the tree, who is Jesus, and also exploring what does it look like as this fruit begins to appear in our lives. So before we take a big bite, from tonight's fruit variety, I thought it would be good to start by spotlighting that fruit in Jesus. So we're going to begin with an encounter Jesus had with a woman as he traveled through the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, this is a pagan territory, the traditional home of Jewish enemies. And Jesus has on purpose taken his disciples through basically the bad part of town. He's, he's going through a dark alley when he doesn't need to. His disciples must have been really confused. Why are we going this way again? 
Why are we going to this place that none of us wants to be? But Jesus is doing this intentionally. He wants to go through this region, Tyre and Sidon. And uh, there he happens to meet a woman who turns out to be extraordinary. You will recognize this encounter um, for those of you who've been listening to the podcast for a while, because this is my favorite story, not just in the New Testament, but in all of the Bible, this little story, my favorite. I come back to it over and over again um, from a different angle. And that's what we're going to do today. This is called The Faith of a Gentile Woman. Here we go. It's from Matthew 15, 21 through 28. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. Let's just stop there for a second. This is a desperate, desperate woman. Um, so desperate, she's approached a uh, Jewish man. Really, you should never do this, especially if you're a pagan woman like this, should never do this. But she's approaching him anyway because she is desperate on behalf of her daughter. And she addresses him as son of David. She, she's basically saying, I know you're a Jew and, I, and you're not supposed to talk to me, but my daughter is possessed by a demon and she's tormented by this demon severely every day. So picking up again in verse 23, but Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all of her begging. And then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. And Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. So <clears throat> we're going to come back to this story in just a bit and spotlight something particular about this extraordinary encounter Jesus has with this pagan woman in enemy territory. But um, right now, what I want to focus in on is his reaction to her. No, so we'll come back to the whole story in just a bit, but let's just focus for at the very end of the story on, on his reaction to her. So he first seems to treat her with the same disdain that his disciples have for her. Basically, that you can interpolate from the disciples that this woman is subhuman. Because they hear that she's desperate and why she's desperate and a normal, compassionate, empathetic response to another human being in such a desperate spot would be um, to stop and consider what she's asking. Instead, their response is she's bothering us. She's bothering us with all of her begging. So she, they're treating her like she's an insect, a, buzz, a fly buzzing around their heads. That's, that's how they're treating her, subhuman. So the Jews in their worldview are the chosen ones, and the Gentiles are bugs, um, especially in this region of the country. They're not even worth paying attention to. In fact, they're just simply irritants that you have to put up with while you're around them. And so, of course, the this woman understands how this works. She's used to being treated this way. She knows how the, the dynamic between the Jews and the Gentiles, she understands that. But she persists anyway through this dismissive treatment. And Jesus, in the end, responds to her persistence in an over-the-top way. 
So uh, you don't really pick that up from the way this is translated, but from the original Greek, the, con the context of his, of his response tonally is immediate compliance with her request and intense delight in her faith. That's what's conveyed in the original Greek uh, account of this encounter, immediate compliance with her request, like right away, and intense delight in her faith. Not just, wow, good job, lady. It's intense delight. Now, delight is central to the personality and the relational norms of Jesus. And we think we understand delight as a simple concept, but it's really the portal into a deeper life with him. I think what I'm saying is, if you understand in this story, why Jesus had intense delight with this woman, you'll understand everything you need to know about his heart. Uh, so it can operate as a portal. His delight in things can operate as a portal into his heart. So just stop for a second and think of something that you've learned to delight in. Um, what, what is it that, that delights you when you, if you think about it? Um, so for me, uh, I got on a Zoom meeting today, and as often happens when I got on the Zoom meeting, I forgot that I had muted the music that is playing all the time whenever I'm working. So I was coming through my computer, and so when I got on the Zoom uh, Zoom uh, meeting, uh, immediately there's this really loud music playing. <laughs> this happens to be more than I'd like to admit, but so I quickly have to uh, go and turn off the music, and the person I was meeting with on Zoom I apologized. I said, I'm sorry, that's not supposed to be waiting room music for you. It's, it's this, the jazz that I listen to all day long. And, and he said, Oh, I love jazz too. That was pretty good. Maybe we should keep listening to it. But uh, the first thing that pops into my head that delights me is jazz music. And one, a person, I, we were with some longtime friends, my wife and I were with some longtime friends last night, and we hadn't seen them in ages. And uh, somehow this came up that uh, that I love jazz music. I wonder how that happened. Uh, <laughs> but it came up and my friend said, how is it that you started listening to jazz anyway? And my wife responded and said, well, we used to listen to classical music during when we were having an evening meal. But um, basically she said that that music seemed kind of stiff to me. Let's try something else. And so back in the day, even before we had kids, uh, I don't even remember this story, but according to her, uh, instead of classical music, we just started trying jazz and that's how it all started. But my recollection of this, in addition to that, is simply that I, in a time in my life when um, I was moving from a by the numbers relationship with Jesus, where I was trying hard to be better, basically, which is what universally we've been brought up in the church to do, just try hard to be better. That's what the Christian life is about. Uh, I had grown greatly uh, uncomfortable and in, in even deep unrest around those patterns in my life. And I was starting to experiment and, and play around with an actual relationship with Jesus, an improvisational relationship with Jesus. And during that period of time in my life, when I was transitioning into a new way of thinking about my relationship with Jesus, I developed this intense uh, love for jazz music, not smooth jazz not even big band jazz, the kind of jazz that John Coltrane and Miles Davis and, and Chet Baker and uh, some of the great old jazz artists, uh, the kind of jazz they played. This is with trios and quartets and quintets, uh, just small group of musicians improvising music. Um, 
I just grew to absolutely love this kind of music. And it's never stopped now for 20 years. That's basically what we listen to in our house all day long. And so why does jazz delight me? Because it attaches something to something deep in me. It's not just a surface delight. It speaks to something deep in me. It's, it's, uh, it's something that continuously surprises me because surprise is actually a part of delight. It continuously surprises me with its beauty. There's, when I'm paying attention to it, um, it, it uh, embraces me in beauty, I guess is a way of saying it. And so when I experience delight, it is, it's, it's like shooting a torpedo down into my heart where it explodes somehow. And, and it, it kind of reminds me of what my heart loves. So it's a reminder of something at, at a deeper level that I love. Um, and that love is fundamental. I mean, that, that's, it, it taps into something foundational in, in my life. So that delight response is foundational. And of course, it's, it's central to the personality of Jesus. So when you, so taking what I just said, delight is like a torpedo that goes down into my heart and explodes there. If, if we uh, experience uh, a delight response in Jesus, what we're really getting a picture of is, is what he finds beautiful, what he finds surprising, what gives him joy, what taps into his fundamental loves. That's what we're experiencing when we, when we experience whatever he delights in. So, so with that kind of filter, thinking about that filter, let's go back to this encounter that Jesus has with the Gentile woman and think about the context of the story again and dig below the surface a little bit to understand why Jesus experienced such intense delight with this woman. So let's go back to the story one more time. And I want you to think about the setting, the people involved, the expectations people had, the assumptions people had in this situation. Um, and think about what are all the factors that are contributing to intense delight at the end of this story. So here we go again, Matthew 15, 21 through 28. Then Jesus left Galilee, so the home territory of the Jews, and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter's possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her, go away, they said. She's bothering us with all of her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, well, that's true, Lord. But even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. Okay, there we have it. A second, uh, a second round of um, intense delight for Jesus. So um, the question is, what is causing Jesus to experience this intense delight? Therefore, from that, 
what is the nature of delight itself? Because Jesus is the source of all good things. So if we understand his delight, then we understand the foundations of delight. So what is the nature of delight is the second question. And how is the nature of delight, uh, how does it filter into our own experience of delight in our life? So, so let's dig into that a, a little bit. Um, what, what, what can we see in Jesus' delight response um, that resonates with our own delight response? So uh, let me go down a few just observations here. We're, we're really drawn to joy and purity, and it's a naturally occurring joy and purity, meaning it's fundamental. So something that speaks to us from the kingdom of God that penetrates the kingdom of our culture, it, it harkens back to something deeper and more beautiful in our experience. Um, and and the, what he experiences de delight about is sort of serendipitous. It, it's naturally occurring. It bubbles up. It's not something that he would have expected. It's, this beauty is bubbling up in front of him, and it's authentic. There's something very, very authentic about how she responds in this raw place that sort of takes him off guard and penetrates down to this place of uh, appreciation for beauty in him. She has been fully alive and fully authentic in front of him, and it captures him. So the, the hearer, she is faced with a darkness in her life, this huge issue she has with her daughter that she's unable to do anything about. And she sees Jesus, who, who she believes is able to do something about this. And therefore, she has to face into her darkness and reach out toward light, which is the act of overcoming. So here she is as a, as a, at a great deficit already. She has a big problem she's trying to figure out, and she's at the end of her rope. She does something courageous in, in approaching Jesus for help. She gets a typical response from his disciples and from him. And now the wall is even higher to get over. And instead of turning around in discouragement from that wall, she scales the wall. She, her determination and perseverance comes from this deeply rooted place. And Jesus translates this as great faith because you will climb over a wall if you think on the other side of the wall is the source of solution for your huge problem, you will say, all I have to do is get over this wall then, because the solution is on the other side. That's how she responds to Jesus. The wall may be big, but I don't care. I'm climbing the wall because I know you have the solution. This is what Jesus is delighting in. This thing, her response, this deeply held belief that he is who he says he is and can do what he, what she thinks he can do. He delights in, um, have you ever had somebody see you for who you really are? Uh, just randomly, somebody who might point something out about you that is, is actually true about you, but you, maybe you don't even think about it in yourself that way. Somebody observes something about you. That's, that's, that's delightful. And you yourself are surprised by the observation. What does it feel like to be seen that way? Well, that's, that's what Jesus is feeling in this moment. Here's a woman who sees me well. 
<clears throat> here's a woman who's treating me as if I am who I am. Um, and she's doing it with passion. And there's something about another person's passion that also delights us because it's coming from a foundational place in our heart. Um, so we, in the end, delight in the things that we love. And so what we see that Jesus loves is this uh, unabashed, raw, mirroring reflection back that you are who you say you are, Jesus. You are who you say you are. And I totally believe it. I totally believe it. And I'm not just using my words. I'm proving it by persevering through your rejection. I'm proving my passion and the truth of my mirror right now because I am persevering through the obstacles in front of me. Jesus finds delight also in the, our courageous attempts to lean into our darkness by reaching toward the light. Whatever darkness you're facing right now in your life, as you reach toward him through that darkness, he is delighted by that courage. He's delighted by that faith because you wouldn't reach if you didn't think he could do what you, he, you hope he can do. And he experiences that with intense delight. So um, you can think about this another way too. Delight is also uh, viral. <laughs> uh, there's probably things that you've learned to delight in because of a close relationship with someone. I mean, something a friend or a loved one already delights in that the more time you spend around them, you learn to delight in that thing as well, because we are infected by viral delight. Uh, we actually see things in a new way through the lens of someone else's delight. So last night when we were talking about jazz music, the unexpected thing that came out of that conversation is my wife telling them all of the people in my life that have grown to love jazz because I love jazz. They have seen uh, through my, the passion of my delight, they have been enticed into delighting in that thing themselves. They've seen something in front of them that they didn't see uh, the way I do until they started noticing how I delight in that thing. And that opened up delight for them too. So you probably learned to delight in something that you have a friend or a loved one that taught you, quote unquote, how to delight in that thing. Um, so here's the, here's the deal to close off this shorter episode of paying ridiculous attention to Jesus. Um, we can catch Jesus's delight ourselves as we get closer to him and spend time with him, hang out with Jesus, and you'll learn to delight in what he delights in. Hang out with Jesus and his viral delight will start to infect you. And you'll find yourself slowing down and paying attention to, in a more concerted way to things you didn't before because his delight is creeping into your, your, your own heart. You start to share the uh, in a natural way the things that he delights, you delight in as well. Um, and it starts to spill into every part of your life. My friend Tom Melton used to call himself an appreciado. I love that word. I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but it's a combination of aficionado and appreciate. And what he was really saying is I've become an aficionado of appreciating things. That is a perfect way of describing, I think, what it is to live in close fellowship with Jesus. You begin to become an aficionado of appreciation. 
you start to appreciate little things. And those little things are the same things that delight Jesus. That's the definition of delight, becoming an appreciato as we draw near to Jesus. We just naturally catch what delights him. So um, there are so many things that are delightful about Jesus. Uh, let me leave you with this today. Um, and I, I mentioned this to someone I talked to again at this gathering last night. Uh, this, this person said to me, um, here's my nickname. Um, for Jesus. Do you think it's okay if I have a nickname for Jesus? Um, I said, sure, let, let's hear it. I, honestly, right now, I can't remember the name he gave me, but he has a nickname for Jesus. And so he was, he was delighted in what he was sharing with me. And I, I looked at him and I said in response, have you ever asked Jesus for the nickname he uses for you? And he looked surprised by that. And he said, it's possible. I think that's your next iteration. Ask Jesus what his nickname is for you which is really whatever his nickname is for you is whatever represents what he delights in about you. So here, here's your homework. <laughs> it's not really homework, but you know, go with it. Uh, your homework is to ask Jesus for your nickname. If, if you're too uncomfortable to ask that, ask Jesus for a word that represents what he delights in about you, just a word. But if you're ready to take a risk and play with Jesus, ask him for the nickname he uses with you and see what surfaces for you. Be quiet, take authority of your own voice and the voice of God's enemy. Just say, I, I don't only want to hear your voice right now, Jesus. I take authority over my voice and the voice of the enemy. And then wait in silence and see what pops up. Receive like a kid, whatever comes. Um, if you understand what is delightful about you to Jesus, you'll also once again understand what is delightful about him because he delights in the things that he, what he delights in in you is what he delights in, period, fun, fundamentally. So ask Jesus, Jesus, what's the nickname you use for me? And then uh, if, you, if something surfaces for you, then consider next what delights him about you. Um, because he calls you that nickname all right there you have it gang short episode season six episode 20 of paying ridiculous attention to jesus uh, you can head on over to paying ridiculous attention to jesus.com and look for season six episode 20 for links to anything we've talked about today and i will see you again next week remember this is paying ridiculous attention to jesus it's a podcast from ricklawrence.com you can subscribe on google play or itunes